Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 39 and 41 ugh, Detroit Pistons with special guest Matt Shook of Locked On Pistons. Ben, Matt, and I go over the disappointing loss against Charlotte, our confidence level in the Pistons making the playoffs, and Matt offers a little update on the future plans of Chauncey Billups. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Laz, are we the 1% or the 99%? We're the 95%. 95%? I've been thinking of that joke all day, so nice. I, that deserves some laughs, I think. So, I, Kudos. kudos. What a week of basketball, man. I, I honestly don't know how I'm doing, but I'm glad to be talking... Uh, to the two of you, so uh, let, let's do this thing. Yeah, the uh, the other voice you might hear in your headphones is uh, Matt Shook. That's S-C-H-O-C-H, Shook, uh, on Twitter. Uh, uh, he's the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast and uh, drove all the way from Toledo to make it to do this with us, so thank you, Matt. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, appreciate the love. I've, uh, I'm a listener, uh, long time, first time, long time, I guess is the way they say it in the, the sports radio world, so glad to be here. Well, we're we're glad to have you as well. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, and the reason we really wanted to bring you on is because you're local. You uh, you're closer to the action than uh, me or Ben for the most part. And so I really wanted to get you on to talk uh, about the temperature of the team from the fan perspective, which you can actually see from your apartment. So uh, you go to the games. Uh, you live near the arena. How how are the people of Detroit feeling about the Pistons? Uh, in advance of the playoffs that they may or may not be. Yeah, the, the almost playoffs, yeah. I I, yeah. Uh, I think lukewarm, I would say. I don't think that there's been a lot of change really all season. Of course, the uh, going-to-work team uh, celebration on Sunday brings a little bit more of the good feelings and probably boosts the attendance more on a typical Sunday afternoon than otherwise would be. But, I mean, you know, LeBron James and the Lakers, even though he ultimately didn't play that game, that brings a huge crowd. You get some spikes uh, for the Houstons and Golden States of the world and some good Saturday night crowds sometimes. But there was still a lot of, you know, January and February Tuesdays with the Knicks in town that were those types of crowds. So I, I don't see. And of course, I was uh, driving. I got back to Royal Oak today because uh, me and my dad drove down to Toledo together and then drove uh, after the, so I watched the last uh, fourth quarter. Uh, the last half of the fourth quarter of the game when I got back to my folks house in Royal Oak and then drove back down to Detroit after the game. So it's kind of raining right now as we tape this in downtown Detroit and the fans that are still there, they must've had some pops after the game in the bar or something. And they are just a miserable looking group of people right now walking down Woodward. So it's, it's kind of uh, really a beautiful 
beautiful, uh, just showing uh, just just kind of the, the perfect human form of what the Pistons fans are feeling right now, and it's sopping wet and it is not happy. Yeah, I don't I don't blame the 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 fans for being kind of wet and miserable after today's loss. Uh, the Pistons lost by thirteen to the Charlotte Hornets, one hundred four to ninety one. Um, the the game was, I think, mostly marred by the really terrible effort at the beginning of the second quarter. Uh, the Pistons found themselves in a 23-point deficit that they were never, never able to fully recover from. Um, ben, uh, what, what really what stood out to you the most from tonight's loss against Charlotte? I mean, ugh, that you, you hit on it that second quarter. I mean, this is a team that is on the brink of clinching a playoff berth. You know, we had we had one brief stint under the SVG era, but that's such a blip on a radar. I mean, we're talking about over a decade of mediocre to terrible Pistons basketball. And, and here we have a team that is just on the cusp. And all they have to do is beat a bad Charlotte team, and, and they come out and play that way. And, you know, like, to me, it's not even about the loss. It's about this entire week of basketball. I mean, just so incredibly uninspired. I mean, if there was ever a time <laughs> to come out and play like you really want to belong, like this was the week. And, you know, a week ago when we talked last, and two weeks ago when we talked last, I've been saying like, yeah, they're 99% on 538, but there's something about it that just didn't feel right to me. And, you know, this week, if you ever want to know why I was nervous, just watch these three games because everything about the Pistons this season that's been a disappointment was completely on display. And and tonight in particular, just, you know, just such a disappointing effort. You know, I, I could live with a, a loss if, if it had looked like players had tried, but that second quarter in particular is like, you know, they, they just almost looked like they were checked out and, and that does not make any sense at all to me. It, it really doesn't. And, you know, I've been the moderating force on this podcast, reining you in from the cliff saying like, hey, no, they are at five at, at 99 percent on 538. Like the numbers say it, they do, in fact, control their own destiny to make the playoffs. Uh, however, you know, I was expecting a different, obviously, like a different level of play across the board from this team. And that's something we cannot rely on night to night, unfortunately. Um, you know, the the Pacers games, obviously, you wish Blake would have played in either of those games. And we'll talk about Blake a little bit in the future. Um, the OKC game, I always that I filed that one kind of under the same way as the as the Denver game. I always assumed they were going to lose that game, but uh, losing it in the manner in which they did is still uh, still tragic. But I always kind of assumed that they would lose that game. But this this Charlotte game with Pistons killer Marvin Williams out and uh, like Bismack Biombo playing major minutes and you know no MKG. And this team still just can't find a way to score any baskets in the second quarter against Frank Kaminsky at center. Like that, you should you should be able to to find a way to generate offense against a team that is constructed the way Charlotte is, and they just couldn't do it. And it's to my eternal frustration. I got no question. Just I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> well, I, and I think that I think that that's part of the reason why they probably threw Blake Griffin out there today, knowing that maybe he wasn't. I mean, he's not certainly not at one hundred percent, but maybe knowing that he wasn't going to be near the type of player that you want at this time of year. Because hey, you win this game, you're basically clinched. 
you might be able to sit him down for these last two games and get him on a rest, which would have been really nice. And not, again, not that he's ever going to get back to 100% in the next week or so, but now you got to play play Griffin possibly on a back-to-back heading into the playoffs. Like, how, it doesn't get any worse than that. And and to lose to the Charlotte Hornets four times, I mean, I know Kemba Walker provides a matchup problem offensively against uh, the Pistons' lack of point guard defense, but it's ridiculous that you can't find a way to beat the Charlotte Hornets once. Let's go to the let's go to the future. Let's forget about the past. The Pistons do in fact still control their own destiny. They are at 96% I think on 538. Um, I'm calming myself down. I'm taking deep breaths, guys. Uh if they beat Memphis and New York uh on back-to-back nights, they're in the playoffs. Just point blank period. Um and if they can't beat either one of New York or Memphis, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs anyway. Um the Pistons are so the Pistons are probably still going to make the playoffs despite all appearances. And uh, Matt, how should fans feel about the the last week or so of play going into the playoffs? How should they feel when the Pistons uh, back into the playoffs against all odds? Well, first of all, I think you should feel a little bit nervous, at least, that they're, they're going to lose one or both of these games because, I mean, these are still NBA players that they're going to throw out there. Memphis might be a little bit of an easier game because you're at home, first of all, and second of all, there is some incentive for Memphis to lose that game with their draft positioning. New York's locked in. I mean, that team has, has been locked in for over a week now, and we know they're terrible, the, the New York Knicks, for God's sakes, but they're at least, you know, have something to play for. This is like their playoffs right now where they can, in the last game of the season, Henry Ellenson can drop his triple-double and he can keep the, <laughs> the Detroit Pistons out of the playoffs. And then that's uh, that's how this season ends. I mean, it'd be perfect poetry for for kind of a miserable end to the season. So I think they should – I think fans – tonight and, and whatever happens this week and again I'm not going to sit here and predict that they're not going to make the playoffs I think they're certainly going to make the playoffs but I think I said it on Twitter a little bit earlier today that like we don't expect this team to win a first round series certainly we hope and expect that they can win a game possibly two games depending on who they're going up against but this like like having a, a nice win with the 2004 team there or going to Oklahoma City and getting the nice win on Friday night and Blake's return to his hometown or you know even splitting with Indiana that would have been a nice way to kind of comfortably cruise into the playoffs and that could have been like the the uptick in momentum that the season could have ended in that would have been like the thing you can kind of hang your head on at the end of the year as you look forward in a positive way now you know, provided some kind of miracle where they really make a first round series competitive, which is possible, but certainly not likely. Uh, it's going to kind of feel like kind of a downer for the regular season and the playoffs at this point. Yeah, Ben, what do you what do you think about the the Pistons backing into the playoffs against all odds? It is exactly what I would have expected. I mean, <laughs> last week, right? Like I talked about after being a Pistons fan for the past decade, like I'm just conditioned to expect the worst at this point. And I mean, it is literally the worst case scenario. This week of basketball was literally the worst case scenario on essentially every level, right? Like Blake Griffin, sore knee, who knows what's really going on with that knee and how serious it is. I mean, that drive he had in the second half where he could have elevated and dunked and sort of, you know, just sort of gently finger rolled it over the rim. Like, what is that, right? Like, 
Blake Griffin, if his knee is 90%, he, he's not rolling that finger rolling in it, right? So Blake Griffin's knee, huge concern. All of a sudden, all of your shooters go cold. Um, Laz, you made a note in the document. Ish Smith is kind of up and down and all over the place. Like, it, it, I hate that it's exactly what I've expected to happen, but it's ex- exactly what I've expected to happen. This is just who the Pistons have been for the past 10 to 12 years. And uh, it's it's just extremely frustrating. And it's so disheartening because this these last, you know, six games really should have been the opportunity for this franchise to get the fan base excited, to get the fan base mobilized. Like I haven't been to a game this season, but I've been to a game at every other season for the past like five or five to seven years or something. And, uh, you, you know, when I go to games, it's typically against like the Warriors or some other big name team. And I'm just so sick of seeing Seth Curry jerseys outnumber the total number of Pistons jerseys in the rest of literally the LCA. And, you know, this could have been a week that that mobilized the fans around that idea, and it just didn't happen. So, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be excited if they make the playoffs because the playoffs is better than not making the playoffs, especially right now. Uh, but right now they're staring down the barrel of Milwaukee, and – I, I don't know if they win a game against Milwaukee, especially if Blake Griffin is at 75%. So, yeah, playoffs, that's good. But, oh, man, it, it could have been so much more interesting. Yeah, I think the the staring down the barrel of Milwaukee is definitely a bad thing. Milwaukee is very clearly uh, the best team in the East, may well be the best team in the league. and Yeah, and they can seriously contend with Golden State. I mean, because Giannis is a nightmare for them if they get that And far. the Pistons have, do- have been dominated by the Bucks every single game this season and so like there there's very little uh light at the end of the tunnel where the light was like you win two playoff games and like you it's like you have that moment in game four where like yeah we're, we're going back to milwaukee it's great like that's that's not going to happen that's completely off the table now and so like there you if you don't if you make the playoffs this year and you don't win a game you still haven't won a playoff game in a decade there's still a distinct like lack of forward momentum uh, for the franchise and so like i think that's definitely uh, the most disappointing like aspect of all of this. But a huge part of that, right, is the is the timing and nature of Blake Griffin's injury, which we've sort of talked around for 13 minutes. Ugh. But uh, we should we should talk in detail about it now. So Blake sat out against Portland, uh, missed the next four or five games, um, came back this week against Oklahoma City, looked great, uh, looked you know completely unencumbered by uh, any sort of injury. Scored forty five, hit hit nine threes, uh, looked amazing, and then comes out tonight with a giant leg brace uh, on his left knee. Um, is making plays like Ben mentioned, where uh, he can he can barely elevate. Um, riding the uh, riding the stationary bike on the sideline during the first half, like it's just not it's just not looking great, and it doesn't doesn't feel great uh, for the franchise. Uh, Matt, like what? Could the timing of Blake's injury have been any worse? No, absolutely it could not have. And in addition to that, I just think that like it almost it all it also kind of gives us a glimpse of the future too, that like how fortunate were the Pistons this year in Blake Griffin's lack of his his relative health. Like he had such a healthy season for what we would have expected, not only in the fact that he was playing more games than we expected, but he played at such a high level throughout the entire season. So now you're looking at it like, well, this might be more like what the future for the rest of this contract looks like. So not only is it kind of 
torpedoing this season right when it was the, the crescendo of what you would expect to be uh the the end of the season and going into the playoffs but now you're actually looking into the future and seeing what you know Blake Griffin looks like going forward and I beat the drum all year uh on the podcast I will pat myself on the back for this I never criticized Dwayne Casey or the staff for sitting down Blake Griffin no matter what game it was I thought they should have sat him down more uh, we're talking about Reggie Jackson going into game 81 on Tuesday. He's going to play 82 games this year. I don't understand how two guys with chronic injuries are playing the amount of minutes and the amount of games that they're playing. I, I think that it would it, it's like a no-brainer. You have to sit Blake Griffin on back-to-backs throughout the entire season. And again, this is revisionist history. And I'm not saying that that was necessarily those decisions that led to, to the knee. We don't know exactly what the knee is, but of course the wear and tear does contribute to those kind of things. So to me, it's kind of a, uh, and, and for all the credit that we give Dwayne Casey for kind of a, uh, being an older coach who adjusts to some of the things about the new NBA in a positive way. And we certainly should give him some credit for that. Uh, resting the star Resting the uh, the injury prone star is something that these guys have not done, and I think it's something that's that kind of goes uh, as a kind of a, a black mark on Dwayne Casey's first uh, season as coach of the Pistons. Ben, even without the the benefit of hindsight, should the Pistons have been more aggressive in resting Blake Griffin during the regular season? Yeah, it's hard to say without the benefit of hindsight because. You know, I've done everything I can to be super optimistic about Blake Griffin on the podcast because I was really down on the trade when it happened. And, uh, you know, Blake has been fantastic this year. So, you know, my efforts have been to try to play praise Blake for how good he has been. But I, I think, Matt, you raised some, some really good points. I think, you know, something like the All-Star break, right, like that's 50-ish games into the season. And, yes, Blake was an All-Star, but – maybe the Pistons ought to consider like, you know, a three to five games leading up to the break, giving Blake an extended rest. Um, And then I think obviously, you know, you can look at guys like Greg Popovich who have been managing this really well for a long time. Um, I think moving forward, you have to look at back-to-backs as almost sort of a default, right? Like we're going to rest Blake on back-to-backs and that's just what we're going to do. There's no question that without Blake Griffin in the lineup, the Pistons offense is miserable. And there's a million reasons for that, but that's the reality. And I think that's going to be the reality moving forward, potentially even more next season, depending on what would they do in the off season with some of these contracts and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think Matt's spot on. Um, This should have been recognized sooner, unfortunately. Yeah, I think the, the way the roster is constructed right now and the way the roster is constructed is super inflexible so there wasn't a lot of ways to change this uh and there might not be a lot of ways to change this during the offseason we we shall see but uh without blake griffin this is a lot this isn't uh like a lottery pick team this is like a 20 25 win team and so i understand the immense reluctance among the coaching staff to play great blake griffin like as much as humanly possible because you know, I don't know what the record. I should have done this. I should have looked up their record without him uh, before they came on the podcast. But I know it's not good. I know they've won what like I can off the top of my head like they won like the Portland game. That's the only win I can think of. They lost to the Cavaliers for God's sakes without Blake Griffin. 
Yeah, and I and I get the fact that if you know what I'm saying, if you sit him more, you're literally turning yourself from a probably going to make the playoffs team to a not going to make the playoffs team. So I recognize that there's, you know, certainly some downside into resting him some more. But I just think, especially when you're looking at what happened right now, especially when you're looking at the next three and what three years and what the plan would be. Obviously, you're building around Blake Griffin, whatever the roster is going to be. That uh, you got to take more of a long form view of it. But I think too, like. Matt, that's an interesting point because I think we've seen how good Blake has looked when he's healthy. Like if you go back and watch the first 20 games, for example, and you don't do anything other than watch all of Blake Griffin's possessions, when he was healthy, he was absolutely dominant, right? And so we got another peek at that this week against Oklahoma City. So yes, I think you're basically throwing in the towel when you rest him. But if you can get him at even 80% of what you got against Oklahoma City, maybe three or four or five more times over the course of the season because he's he's rested, then I don't know. Maybe it, it ends up being not quite as dire as that because Blake is just a lot better when he's rested and healthy. That's a great point. There was a big difference between January Blake and March Blake. I mean, there was just no doubt about that. January was his best month, I think, if I remember correctly. But that was also when they were... Yeah, he was, he was at 29.7 points a game, I think, and then he was at under 20 in March. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of factors around that. It's a pretty small sample size to talk about March because there were some blowouts there. And uh, I think he, you know, sat out uh, like half a game or at some point for some reason. But, yeah, I mean, the 10 points a game is not a small number talking about two separate months like that. So I think that kind of shows that as the season went on, uh, not only did the injuries come up in the last week, but the the soreness and the lack of lift was kind of a little bit more apparent and the lack of the jump shot too, which is probably a lot because of his legs uh, was, was down the stretch became kind of an Achilles heel as well. Pardon <laughs> the pun. No. Yeah, it's fine. The, I think especially like at the beginning of the year too, there was a, I at least had a major concern that the Pistons were going to wear him down because of the way he was being used on offense, where he was touching the ball a hundred times a game and the entire offense was him out of the high post. And even as the year went on and his role uh, wasn't was never like minimalized. He never his usage has never like you know dipped down below like twenty five percent or anything crazy. But they have not they've done a better job of like not putting that load on him on a game to game basis. And yet, like that, it didn't matter. Like eighty two games is still eighty two games, or seventy five plus games is still seventy five plus games. Like there's no there's no way to escape the grind of an NBA season. Well, and two, like it, the way that he plays offensively and even defensively, it's extraordinarily hard in his body. I mean, you look at him being among the lead leaders in, in charges. So like his team defense as a whole is, I don't think, great. But one of the things he does so well is take charges. But look, man, if you're taking, if you're getting run over 50 times a season by 200 pound grown ass NBA big men, like that takes a toll and his offense is to his credit, like he does something that I think is sort of lost in the modern NBA game, which is use his physicality to his advantage and plays bully ball. It, it, it kind of, it's not just how many games he's playing, but it's the mileage over the course of those 75 games that I think is amplified by just the way he approaches the game of basketball, which is, you know, just, it's sort of a double-edged sword because it works to his advantage because he utilizes those things so well. But I think that just absolutely has to be taking a toll on his body over the course of the season. 
Yeah, I bet the smaller defenders hate going up against him for that one game, and then it probably is tougher for the opponent in that one game, but he's got to do it 75 times, and even though it's not so bad on him every single time, the accumulation of it just kind of adds up, like you guys said. So, Blake, while Blake was out, we got a a good look at the Blakeless Pistons, and uh, Ben, what were what were some of the the ripple effects across the roster that we saw uh, in the absence of Blake Griffin? So, do you have that Pistons blowhorn handy for some <laughs> post edits? Because <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know what to say about this team. I mean, gosh, I, I don't know. I mean, you you look at the shooters, right? So, uh, a guy like Langston Galloway jumps out. With Blake Griffin on the floor, a guy like Langston is just set up so much better to succeed, right? Because he can he can sort of float and drift uh, and find open shots and find space because of what Blake does offensively. Uh, you know, obviously that hasn't happened. Uh, Laz, I'm curious to to hear what you have to say about Ish Smith, but he's another guy that sort of jumps out at me um, as a guy who's who struggled um, over the course of Blake Griffin's absence, but. Um, just generally, I think what I'd say is the Pistons have so many guys who are extraordinarily inconsistent. And I think um, ignore Blake Griffin being out of the lineup, for example, and just think fundamentally about the roster. When you look at the NBA, like the highest level of basketball in the entire world, what separates the great from the good and the good from the mediocre is consistency, right? It's, it's guys who, when you put them on the floor, you have a realistic realistic expectation of what you are going to get out of them, right? The Pistons have, I think, maybe two of those guys in Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. You'll occasionally get the outlier where they're struggle. They won't shoot the ball well or whatever. But, you know, Blake Griffin plays 75 games. You can count on, you know, 68 to 72 of those games. You know what you're going to get. And the same for Andre Drummond. Uh, the, the rest of the Pistons lineup is a crapshoot. And that's amplified by the fact that a number of those guys depend on a guy like Blake Griffin to be successful in the first place. And I think that's what absolutely what we saw. Um, guys just absolutely struggling, looking completely out of sorts um, and missing, missing a lot of shots too. So it's like the perfect storm. It's all of those things coming together. And all of that's what we saw over the course of the past week. Matt, what, was there anything in particular uh, you noticed or wanted to speak out about uh, the Pistons how, and how they looked without Blake? Yeah, and I think it was kind of a little bit of a perfect storm when you talk about the Indiana back-to-back, or I guess home-and-home, home, not a back-to-back, but uh, that you're going up against one of the only other physical and imposing front courts in the league. So suddenly you've got Thad Young, you've got Sabonis, and Bogdanovich isn't you know post player or anything like that, but they throw Miles Turner in there, who's one of the best you know defensive interior players in the league. You got all those guys out there, and then you take away not only the, what Blake Griffin brings to this team, but you're one of your big bodies inside, and suddenly you're asking Thon Maker, who uh, obviously doesn't have the body to handle that type of defense right now, and so those guys are all. Uh, taking turns and scoring 17, 18, 19 points apiece. And when you add up all those points from those four guys, that is a victory right there. So I think that that's kind of the, the blinking light of what, you know, shows when, 
when Blake Griffin's not out there. And again, Zaza gets a little bit more exposed whenever he gets minutes against uh, younger, more physical and, and, you know, uh, more athletic players. He can't really grab rebounds or do the crafty stuff that he can do defensively against guys who are just going to be out, uh, out maneuvering him and just being better than him. So I think that that, that kind of shows up. Ben made a great point about the shooters and how they can't really uh, – there's not a lot of shot creators on this team. There's no doubt about it. Andre Drummond's the second-best player on this team, but there's no universe where he's a, a shot creator. So obviously Reggie Jackson becomes that guy, um, and it's he just can't do that in the point of being the number one shot creator on a good NBA team right now. So you're looking at guys like Wayne Ellington who played pretty well and has played well – in his time with the Pistons, which I think creates an interesting question going forward when you talk about Wayne Ellington and Ish Smith both becoming free agents. I have my answer, but if you had to pick one of those guys, what would you guys do going forward? I would I would love to uh, be able to upgrade a backup point guard, but I don't know if that's going to be able to happen. Um, I've, I've always – I've liked what Ish has brought to the roster, but I've always thought that it could be – easily replaced and maybe even uh, improved upon in in the case of maybe you get somebody who plays with less pace but is a better just perimeter shooter in general um as far as wayne i would i would like to bring back wayne but wayne would be again he's like their fifth shooting guard and they did they have so many other holes on the roster that they don't need five shooting guards right if yeah i guess i would i would kind of answer that question by saying you create you help your one problem by solving it in the other, and it's to try give a real try for Luke Kennard and or Bruce Brown as your backup point guard, and give those guys a chance. And I don't and I don't know enough. I'm not at practice to know why these guys are not given the chance or if they can't handle it for whatever reasons. But you're almost if you can bring back an Ellington if if it's feasible for like a mid level exception. If you can do that. And then you could take care of, like you said, the glut of shooting guards by turning one of those guys into a backup point guard almost exclusively. Then uh, maybe you're solving two problems at once. Then you could maybe draft a point guard of the future who might not be ready for super minutes there at that 16-17 spot. Or obviously doing whatever you can to address your small forward problem. Or I guess the the better way of putting it these days is a, a large wing as opposed to uh, you know pigeonholing it into, into a small forward. So... Uh, and I don't think that Glenn Robinson is going to be the answer there, picking up that option. So I think that you can kind of solve one of your two problems by being a little bit more creative with what you already have. Well, I don't know. You talked about this a little bit on Locked On Pistons earlier this week, Matt. Uh, I think Glenn has played relatively well to expectations. And in the last couple of periods where we've uh, seen Blake not be on the floor, kind of as a small ball four, just essentially as as a larger wing. Um, I, you know, I don't think that, I don't know if he's fully regained the trust of the coaching staff or anything like that, but I think that, uh, it's, it's a mistake to, uh, to just completely excise him from the rotation. And I was going to ask your thoughts about that. No, I agree. I think that he should have gotten a lot more of a chance, whether that is, like you said, a small ball four or really back into the good graces of, of, uh, of a starting three, like he was, early on in the season. I just think that, that when you look at the contract number, it being, I think it's four, a little bit over $4 million next year, that that's going to be too much for a guy that you have so such big questions for and not enough answers for. Now, if you decline that option and he goes back into free agency and you could sign him for a lesser number, maybe you can, you can talk about that. But yeah, I totally agree that it was, when you're putting Bruce Brown out there as your starting three, or whatever we call, you know, your, your starting wing next to, to Wayne Ellington. I, I think that you're just 
throwing the towel in on any kind of offense that you're going to get from that position. Now, it's an interesting question because, you know, Glenn Robinson III struggled so mightily in the first half of this season. There's no doubt about that. And while he did he did make some strides coming back, obviously it wasn't enough for him to avoid getting like a DNP on Wednesday against um, – against Indiana and then uh I don't I don't remember him getting any meaningful minutes on Friday. I didn't like I said I didn't watch most of the game uh today against Charlotte, but I don't think he was back meaningfully in the rotation at this point. So if you're the if you're the I think it's and I think Dwayne Casey as we kind of step back and we he's known uh, universally as being such a good culture builder and kind of turning around dire situations, which is what the Pistons were when he got here. I think the kind of move of of continuing to start uh, uh, Bruce Brown and giving them those minutes while uh, it's certainly a decision that you could disagree with reasonably, I think that he's almost kind of saying, at least this guy's out there giving a crap every night. Now, he's not an outstanding defender yet. He's he's average or maybe slightly above average at this point, depending who you believe on your defensive eye test or metrics. But Obviously, he's a guy out there giving a crap every night, and not that Glenn Robinson III's not, but as a veteran who there's really not all that much upside with his game, maybe that's a little bit of a sacrifice of the now for the this building of the culture that Dwayne Casey does, and maybe that's kind of one of those little ways you can see that manifest itself in terms of rotations and and minute distributions, and I think that that's kind of what that might be in a small kind. No, I I can see that, and I know there's. I have seen a lot of consternation among Pistons fans around Bruce Brown continuing to start, um, despite the fact that the Pistons offense, um, the Pistons main problem remains on the offensive end. And he is very clearly a, a, a net negative on that end. And part of the reason why they're a bad offensive team a lot of the time, but at the same time, like, like you mentioned the mentality he brings on defense and the fact that he gives a crap every night. Like, I think that, I think that legitimately matters to this team. I think that's something that's really uh, actually important to this team, because as we've seen um, when this team doesn't give a crap or when there is no energy kind of running through this team, um, they look so bad there and there's no, and because they don't have enough shot creation, there's no way to, there's no easy way to kind of get them out of that offensively and, and the offense tends to feed the defense instead of perhaps the way it should be the other way around. But at the same time, like you, you have to figure out what you have in, in Bruce because, uh, because he, because he's a second rounder and because he is already an average to above average defender in his rookie year. And you only project him to get better at that going forward. You, you kind of need to see what you have in him. Bruce is more important to the team's long-term plans than Glenn Robinson. The third is uh, for better or worse. And so I, I understand why he's starting, but I, I totally get the desire to see um, Glenn play more uh, in the rotation. Uh, ben, uh, what, did, what did you think about uh, re-entering or re-inserting uh, GR3 into the rotation? Meh. I mean, like, I was excited about GR3, right, for all of the reasons I've talked about on this podcast. He's just failed to demonstrate that he's a starter, right? I mean, he he has whiffed on essentially every opportunity that's been given to him. Um, I I wish the opportunity had been a little more extended over the course of the season. Um, And when it comes to this off season, the the Pistons are in a bit of a bind with guys like GR3 because like his contract in the context of the NBA salary cap is not that bad, but um, the Pistons need every penny they can get. And it's hard to know what to think about 
in, in terms of bringing him back. And, and I think what ultimately matters is if he's lost the confidence of the KC coaching staff, and to me it appears that he has, then I think that makes the decision easy for the, for the general manager. Like you need to move on. Um, I think he's a better player than he demonstrated this season in Detroit. I think he still belongs in the NBA, maybe as an eight man or a nine man in a rotation. Um, but, but to me, like, I don't see how he fits with this team moving forward, given what he's produced for this team. I, I think the thing that stands out to me about this week's rotation is actually Luke Kennard. He, he really struggled over the course of this week, but he also got really limited minutes. So um, I'm sort of hijacking well, and, your question well, no, and... about what I want to talk about instead. But uh, like Langston Galloway was so bad this week. And uh, Luke Kennard wasn't like dramatically better, but he was still better. Um, and, and I'd like to see that situation remedied. Like I'd like Luke Kennard to have a guaranteed amount of minutes that he's going to get to play through his, his struggles. So I think today, for example, he did some nice things. Um, but, but some of those nice things might have been pen- beneficial throughout the week as well, where he sort of had a short leash. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with you, Ben, on both fronts that he needs to get that minutes guarantee, but like he also needs to play better. Like, uh, it's like, I, I can kind of, you, you could, both things can be right that Dwayne Casey needs to play him more. And he also just needs to be better when he's out there. He had that stretch after the all-star break, really when they were playing their best basketball is when Luke Kennard was playing their best basketball. He is the biggest barometer on this team of how you, if, if they're going to be playing well or not. And, uh, I think that he just needs to become the player that he could be. I know it's year two. I know it's tough to like throw that on a guy, but man, he just needs to be assertive. He just needs to be out there. I know it's like the most simplistic thing to say, but he he needs to just make things happen or else these Pistons are, you know, 500 at best. Yeah. And Luke has been hurt, right? Like he was in a walking boot against Indiana and like he's playing now and he's been doubtful in the injury report. So I, I'm not surprised that he's playing poorly, but I, I lean definitely more towards what, what Matt was saying, Ben, like Luke has ever since the Reggie Bullock trade, uh, Luke has found himself like a guaranteed 20 plus minutes in the rotation, regardless of situation. Um, and so like what he chooses to do with those 20 minutes is totally up to him. And that varies on a night to night basis. Some nights he's really aggressive. You'll see him, you know, come off screens from Zaza, pull up from 18 and it goes in and you're like, okay, we got good Luke tonight. And then sometimes you'll see him like, you know, snake the pick and roll not make the right read just or flip it back out to ish or, you know, pass up wide open threes like he did in the first, uh, first half uh, today against Charlotte. And you're like, okay, well we don't have good Luke tonight. And so like we, yes, Langston runs hot and cold. I am completely resigned to the fact that Langston runs hot and cold. And there's almost no way of telling like which Langston you're going to get, but uh, you, but Luke as a lottery pick um, as a rookie that has a lot of expectations on him, um, and as a guy who's getting 20 plus minutes a night um, should be contributing more at this point uh, than he has been in the last couple of weeks. Um, and uh, last guy, I guess we should get to is ish. Uh, ish had been highly inconsistent, but dropped 20 points tonight. So that's why I actually took him out of the Google doc, Ben. You're like, work. yeah, he read, he read your notes this morning when I was getting him. He was like, I got to show this last guy up. <laughs> 20, 20 points on 16 shots, which is, which is pretty good. And he played, uh, he did the, uh, the Casey did the thing where Reggie played like the first six minutes of the third and Ish played the rest of the way for, for better or worse. Um, I, I still think 
to go back a little bit as if when issues a free agent this offseason i think that they could definitely uh, upgrade the spot with somebody who's a little bit more consistent but at the same time i know Ish is super beloved in detroit i know he's a good locker room presence um i know that uh he has been a he's been a guy who uh has moved around a lot in his career. I think uh, James Edwards at the Athletic had a really great story about uh, how Ish like, finally found roots in in Detroit. And I'd hate to like on a personal level, I don't know the guy. I've never met him, but I hate to, you know, just you know, be so callous as to say like, no, like you can't you can't come back here. But uh, I do think that that spot could be upgraded upon, and I have been troubled uh, by his priorly inconsistent play uh, prior to tonight uh, this week. Uh, ben, I know that. Uh, <laughs> You you asked me about it, so I'm answering it by <laughs> saying like, yeah, <laughs> by asking yeah, me by asking again, you again. Yeah. like what, like what? I mean, like, what am I? Am I wrong? Like, what am I supposed to do with this when uh, he scores 21 night and has like and has zero impact on the game against like Indiana in the home game? Yeah, like so to me, he's he's a lot like Will Bynum, right? Like when he's on, he's just he wins everybody over, right? Because he does all of those little things that Pistons fans love, but when he's off, it's like, why is this guy even in the NBA? (laughs) Um, So he, he, he pulls the fan base from one extreme to the other. Um, What I would say to your question, Laz, is that the Pistons have more than a backup point guard question to answer this summer. They also have a starting point guard question to answer this summer. Um, Unfortunately, they have to deal with the, the backup point guard problem first given the way that the salary structures have worked themselves out and the contracts have worked themselves out um i like ish he's really won me over as a fan i was not crazy about his signing um what he does on the court i think he he's just a fantastic change of pace kind of player because he's very different from what a lot of starting point guards do um i don't know that he makes a whole lot of sense moving forward for the rest of the roster i think Matt's idea is interesting. Is there a way to explore sort of an alternate approach to backup point guard? Like, do you have a more two secondary ball handlers out there instead of a traditional point guard? That idea is interesting. Um, But I guess ultimately I would be fine for moving on with Ishmith. I think, um, you know, his contract, he's probably overpaid for what he does. Um, But the Pistons also have to deal with starting point guards. They have to deal with, that question on two fronts, which I think is, is really challenging. Um, you know, in the new front office, they've got to earn their paycheck on this regard because this is, uh, you, you look at a game like this, um, I, and I say a game like this against Charlotte because that's game still in my mind, like point guard defense in particular is such an Achilles heel of the Pistons defense. And neither Reggie nor Ish is up to the task. Um, to see a guy like Bruce Brown having to guard the best perimeter ball handler game in and game out, neither of your top two point guards are capable of doing that. That's a huge problem. Um, so I, I think to me, clearly you, you need to move on from ish. You need to appreciate what he's given the franchise. He's I think 30 or 31 years old at this point. Uh, you need to address defense on the second unit. And then maybe you look at guys like Luke um, who can do some of the ball handling that maybe Ish is doing now. That's, that's kind of how I would approach it um, moving into this summer. And Ish is a great guy. This is the only thing I will throw in there is I've talked to him, you know, a half dozen times and not only like he's the, he was like one of the, the Pistons that'll come over to the writers like on his own and just kind of start chatting about whatever we're chatting about. So it's kind of, you know, not just like, you know, you can imagine how a little bit, 
removed the writers are from the players until there's you know a formal interview going on and stuff like that and obviously i don't know ish very well or anything like that but uh from everything i hear about him in the community and everything i know from talking to him one-on-one just an extremely likable guy that would be hard to let go but i'm, I'm with ben and that and and it's not only it a personal it's certainly not a personal thing but it's not only like a this basketball player needs to be gone kind of thing it's more of a this roster needs to be changed in major ways and when a guy's contract expires that's an opportunity to try to do something different to change the roster up and unfortunately it's a beloved guy who's uh someone that's almost universally liked by the fan base and uh and and probably you could make an argument that you could bring him back here on a smaller deal and uh, you know, replace Reggie when his contract expires with hopefully whether that be a draft pick this year, a Darius Garland if he falls because of the knee or something like that. And then suddenly you can hope that in year two that becomes your point guard and uh, your starting point guard. Then Ish is maybe your backup. But again, then you're kind of tossing around another season of Kemba Walker just. Uh, scoring at will on you and and add him to the list of all the point guards that's been doing that that season and that's just a, seems like another wasted year of 41 and 41 yeah no definitely um uh, i don't know if garland uh, makes it to well you know if they miss the playoffs there's a better shot at him <laughs> well I'm, I'm just i'm just supposing that you know we're looking at the top five and saying here's these top five guys that are in there i think there's going to be a lot of shakeups between you know six and twenty and I think a guy who's not going to be able to have any tape available and, uh, you know, who knows what he's going to look like come June with the knee, uh, you know, th- does a guy like that slip or does a guy like that, uh, maybe the, the fact that he's, you know, the devil you don't know is, is okay or something like that. I, I'm sure I mixed up seven metaphors there. But, I, you know, <laughs> m- maybe that's the kind of guy that might slip in the draft because there will be some guys that slip. Yeah. Guys, we're still like two weeks away from a draft podcast, just so you know. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so okay, so Ben, I guess well, we should close. Uh, what I guess let's uh let's ask this in a fun way. What where will the Pistons be drafting? I guess in in two weeks when we have our draft podcast, will be the, will they be drafting in the lottery or will they be drafting at like you know sixteen seventeen? How many picks are in the lottery? Thirteen, fourteen, 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 fourteen. Uh, I would say fifteen. So <laughs> they're gonna make the playoffs and they're gonna get swept by Milwaukee. Um. Wait, is anybody in the West worse than them who's going to make playoffs? I don't think Sacramento's right there with all okay. these teams. So maybe so there's a chance, but, so, but yeah. Sacramento's chance nine. They're not going to make the playoffs, right? But I mean, like as far as the the team that won't make the playoffs that could be right in the mix of the record, right? Because uh, it, it goes to the records for the lottery. It ignores, yeah. So probably right. fifteen, right? Then because Sacramento goes whatever well they're right in there i mean sacramento might not be over this is a couple of days ago that i looked but they're like right with all these bad teams in the east so they could they could shuffle that up by one spot yeah i mean, I mean playing milwaukee in the playoffs is just it, it, it's bad um there i don't think they're gonna win a game against milwaukee so they're gonna they're gonna be drafting just out of the lottery unfortunately all right matt uh are the pistons making the playoffs Oh yeah, I think they are, but uh, you know, certainly again, like I said, the very top. And I'm realizing now, as I say this, that your point is right. That Sacramento, because they're in the lottery, wouldn't impact the Eastern Conference uh, teams that do make the playoffs. So ignore what I said. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I just I think they make the playoffs. But again, you don't feel good about it. Uh, for and and I'm I'm definitely a, a victim of recency bias when I say this because we're talking about this you know, a couple hours after another disappointing loss at home with the 2004 crowd there. 
that uh, that would have been a nice win. But like, it just feels like if they would have finished the season impressively, and I'm not saying beat all four of these games that they've lost lately, but just win two of them, win that home game against Charlotte, get that bugaboo of the Hornets off your back. It just feels like, you know, 42 and like 43 and 39 yes. would have just felt a lot better, yes. even if you do lose to the Raptors in five. Yeah, right? like I so agree with that. Like 42 and 40 just feels so much better. And the second thing is, I put out on Twitter at some point during the game today that the Pistons haven't been able to defend the point guard spot since they traded Chauncey Billups away. And forgive me for not remembering who this was, but someone replied to me, could they just bring Chauncey in from out of the <laughs> They tried that. Like, they, they tried that. It did not go very well. <laughs> That's true. It didn't go very well, but like it, it, it shout outs to whoever that was because uh, that, that got a literal LOL from me during the game today. Oh man. So I also think the Pistons make the playoffs. I don't know if they end up playing Milwaukee or not. That's the that's a whole bunch of tiebreaker math and stuff that like I just do not have the brain power or energy for right now. Um yes, it is extremely disappointing that they were unable to close the season on a high note. Yes, it is even more disappointing that uh given that Blake's uh knee is sore there should be serious consideration given to uh, if you make if or when you make the playoffs shutting him down for the playoffs because you're not going to win anyway there's no point um and you can only you can't they the trainers say they can't make it worse but you you know how that goes and so uh, yes I, the title of this podcast should definitely be like they're going to make the playoffs but we don't feel good about it can i pass along can i pass along some news for you guys just a little bit of a uh a news breaking thing here for yeah, you. Go for it. Um, and I wrote so many words last week about so many different sports. It was just kind of one of those crazy weeks, but I believe on my Larry Brown article where he's talked about Chauncey Billups and vice versa, that was in the Detroit news. A little plug for that, by the way, I believe I didn't put this in there, but I did talk to Larry Brown a couple weeks back. And he told me that through conversations with Chauncey Billups lately, that no, he's not returning to the Pistons as a player, but he believes that, uh Chauncey has and he's always talked about how he wants to run his own team I talked to Chauncey at the big three when he was in town last year and that's always been the belief and that's why his name was floated for the Cavs and the Pistons uh before for running his team but Larry believes that Chauncey has changed his mind and that he may now want to coach instead of running his own team so Larry Brown is of the belief that Chauncey Billups will someday be a coach in the NBA there it is Little little breaking, a uh, little breaking news, a little side note. I wouldn't, maybe not breaking, but uh, just a little bit, so, little bit of nugget there. Like me. I one hundred percent prefer that to him as a GM, to be perfectly honest with you, because the way he played the game to me, like if he could distill like fifty percent of that or forty percent of that, like he he is just such a fantastic and incredibly like historically underrated player. So. That's super interesting to me, so I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that the way that he related to his teammates suggests uh, a very strong interpersonal relationships type of thing, whereas if you're a GM, yeah, it's important to get along with the players, but not nearly as important as coach. And not only that, but like he was the one guy who was able to talk to Ben and Rashid in certain ways that maybe other guys or certainly other guys around the league wouldn't have been able to. I think that Chauncey, everyone that's ever talked to Chauncey, everyone's ever watched him on TV, just a supremely likable guy. So like that skill of being relating to players and being relating to other people on a day-to-day basis is somewhat lost when you're in the front office and it's just kind of a, a numbers game and you're just kind of, uh, you know, 
pulling out spreadsheets and making decisions based on that. Whereas coaching is so much of that day-to-day relations, relationships based thing that I actually agree that I think he'd be better suited for that than maybe GM. Yeah. So I think this is the second time we've had actual sources on the pod. Laz, you were the first, (laughs) Matt, I think you get second. Um, What I will say Oh gosh, we're talking for an hour. What I will say about Chauncey is I hope he spends like his first five years somewhere else so that he gets all the mistakes out of his system so that by the time he comes to Detroit, like, you know, like he's prepared and he can sort of be the hero. Like that's my fan dream about him because my memories of Chauncey are like, like he's godlike to me. Like he's top three all-time Pistons. Like I absolutely love him. Yeah, and it would it would suck to have those sullied by like thirty win Chauncey head coach season. All right, right, like Michael Curry, like the Michael Curry's oh. days as a, as a Michael Pistons Curry's days as a coach a were like Pistons his coach days at a player. Like, yeah, he I was like the true. zero for zero with zero assists and zero rebounds, like a per of zero, which you didn't even know was possible. My favorite thing about Michael Curry was that they just kept starting him no matter what. It's like <laughs> it's Bruce Brown, the new Michael Curry, or is Michael exactly Curry, right. the old Bruce Brown. Oh my god, that is the best comparison. Oh I my. love it. Oh I hope everyone listens to the fifty-two minutes mark because this is the best content of the podcast <laughs> we uh they used to run that one play for mike curry to run like a to get like an 18 footer and like that was the only shot he ever took and i was like they ran a play for an 18 footer <laughs> yes. oh my god the NBA. that's so 10 years ago last <laughs> no it's 20 years ago in the 90s oh my gosh rick, rick carlisle's rolling over in his grave right now <laughs> uh all right uh ben and uh, matt thank you so much for coming on the podcast we really appreciate it um Matt, shout out your Twitter handle, shout out your podcast, shout out your pieces. Uh, give the people more Matt Shook. Yes, sir. Well, uh, they've, they've got enough. There's plenty of it every single day, every weekday on the Locked on Pistons podcast. Uh, Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that. Check us out on Facebook. I, I got this down because I say it every freaking day. Check us out on Facebook at Locked on Pistons dash Matt Shook. Um, let's see. I will be at Tigers this week. I'll be at Red Wings locker room cleanup tomorrow. I know everyone listening is a big Red Wings fan, so they're going to be bated breath to hear how everyone uh, is excited to go hit the golf uh, the golf course this summer. And uh, I'll be writing some, you know, if there is a Pistons playoff, I think we're going to do a little bit of a Pistons preview for the news. And I'll be reaching out to some fans. So if any fans are listening, they want to give their uh, thoughts on the Pistons. I know they're out there. Send me a DM or an email at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H at Yahoo.com. And uh, maybe we'll squeeze you in a Detroit News article as well. Yeah, ben, uh, shout out your Twitter and uh, shout out uh, anything else you want to hit. Look, if you guys know my Twitter after three seasons of this, then just don't don't follow <laughs> we get, me. We get we get new listeners. We get people who've been listening <laughs> for the first time. Oh, oh man, I'm feeling they, snarky right now, though. <laughs> I'm feeling so snarky <laughs> after this week of basketball. At BR Golker, uh, this weekend is bound to contain. Matt said golf, so I'm going to put it out there. It's going to contain some coverage of mm. the Masters because uh, I am a golf aficionado. I love golf the masters is my absolute favorite tournament so at br golker hit me up um if the pistons somehow managed to lose their way out of the playoffs at least we have the masters this weekend i think i might legitimately take a twitter break that's at last chance at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e i think i might legitimately take a, a twitter break if the pistons miss the playoffs i'll still do this podcast obviously but uh the the cesspool that will erupt if uh if they manage to lose out the rest of this week uh, I don't. I don't know if I actually want to deal with that. Uh, with that oh said, God. I love all you guys. 
Thanks I'm for hearing, listening. I'm hearing, the, I'm hearing the anger in you guys a little bit, and I and I didn't bring it up yet, uh, but uh, I'm guessing a lot of it has to do with what happened on Saturday night as well. Ooh, oh, only for one of us. I was not. See, I was almost going to get out of this podcast. You, didn't bring up. you brought it up like the last month at the start every time. I was gonna, <laughs> I was going to escape without having to uh, like have flashbacks back to the long arms of Jarrett Culver everywhere. Uh, I'm telling you, man, didn't I say that last week? You like, did. look out you for this guy. I couldn't even remember his last name, but I was like, that ice cream store, Culver's, it's <laughs> something like that. Oh, my gosh. They were the – that was – defense was ridiculous. That defense was ridiculous. Yeah. I was very surprised they didn't get called for more fouls just with how aggressive they were. Ah, uh, whatever. No, 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 no. Just like in general, right? Like college kids normally don't execute, execute a defense that aggressively without fouling. Yeah, man, that defense is tough. It shook Michigan to the core. It's fantastic. And they got a little reputation, so sometimes the whistles don't come as much. And, and now that we're talking about the 2004 Pistons, too, I think that was part of that, too, not to rain on our our little Piston parade here, but uh, you get a little reputation, and then that, that kind of precedes you. Matt, do you have any memories of the bad boys? Were you alive? Yes. When they yeah. Were? Oh, yeah. Those are like okay. my first sports memories. Oh, my I'm, God. We need yeah. an off-season podcast last. Yeah. Book I, it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, here's how much of a fan and weird kid that I was. Uh, I remember 007. I remember the shot. It was great. Best sports moment of my life. But I was so weird that I would, I like went to bed that night and then cried because the season was over. And oh, I didn't get to watch it. You are, you are my piston spirit animal. Yeah, oh my great. goodness. I that's love how it. weird it is. Yeah. Laz, you weren't even born yet. I was not. What do you know about this? I, what do you know about this? I don't know. I, I The first time I remember crying <laughs> over the Pistons, it was because Terry Mills missed a game-winning shot against the Atlanta Oh my Hawks. God, you cried because of a Michigan player missing a shot? This is poetic it, justice. It really, and there you I go. I love it. That Michigan has been uh, you know, forcing people to sadness for years now. Why, why wouldn't it do that for <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh we last we jumped the shark i think officially <laughs> sunday april 7 the detroit bad boys podcast jumped the shark yeah the We're glad to be a part of it yeah, <laughs> going winless in a month will uh will break even the best of men i'll say that much <laughs> this has been the detroit bad boys podcast if you made it to minute 56 thank you so much for listening and uh depend even if the pistons miss the playoffs we will see you next week